you know, the most amazing thing about Jesus being the center of it all is that he says that we are the apple of his eye. God, you are so good. Lord, I worship you this morning, God. That worship was powerful. You are in the middle of it, Lord. I praise you. You are worthy of worship. Worthy of praise. God, I lift up your name and worship you. I acknowledge that you are the creator. That you alone are Lord. I praise you. Who has ever brought you counsel? Who has ever taught you anything? Who has ever shown you anything? Father, you are wonderful, marvelous, grand, amazing in all of your ways. You are exceedingly good and beautiful. Who has ever beheld anything as beautiful as you? You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Hallelujah. You are worthy. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship who you are, who you came to be. We worship you. Thank you for showing us the way and becoming the way that we walk. Becoming the very path that we tread. You plowed before anyone ever came to plow. Thank you. Thank you. You are good. You are full of goodness. Thank you. You know, during worship, um, I don't often get to experience it uh, in the way that you guys experience it. You know, sitting there, I'm usually up here worshiping with my guitar and i love it by the way it's not distracting it took many years of refinement but the the guitar is not distracting for me it's a place of worship for me but this morning when i was sitting enjoying that worship with all of you i saw visions and it was very exciting when we were going over the portion of the song that said as he dresses the lilies You know, will he not clothe you? You know, how much more does he love you? I saw these. um, It actually reminded me of Lydia's closet. I saw these garments coming out of heaven and landing on people. I saw uh, golden shirts and golden dresses, and it was just filled with glory that was coming and laying on people. And it was it was amazing to see. And then when we were going over the song, Have My Heart, I saw a different vision. You know, the first vision was heaven opening and something coming out and landing on us. But the second vision was something coming out of us and going to heaven, being offered to him. So when we were going over the song, Have My Heart, I just saw these floating hearts going up into heaven and they all were following this string of gold this 
it, it was almost like golden dust, but in a line. And those hearts were just being offered to him. And it was powerful. And I have to tell you, you know, this morning, um, Satan has just tried to come against so much this morning, so many people this morning. Um, I can only just think of a handful of examples that I won't get into now, but but he's really come after a lot of people here today. And I know it's because he doesn't want the Lord to release what he wants to release. And it has nothing to do with who's speaking it, with who's sharing it. The Lord, he finds a way to express himself. And he wants to express something very important to you today. He wants to express to you the importance of your calling and we're not going to be talking too much about your calling this morning but we're going to be talking about the path to it we're going to be talking about what not just the lord's expectations are of you but really how he set up his kingdom to receive that calling and so we're going to be uh in luke a lot this morning So before we get started, I know that I opened with prayer, but I just want to pray one more time and ask for him to take absolute control over me, absolute control over my mouth. So, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your worship. God, I know I already blessed you for it, but, but man, it was powerful, and I praise you. Being able to connect with you when we can't see you, is so precious, is so intimate and wonderful. And Father, just a drop of your love is enough to drown me. It really is. I ask you to come to do your will. I ask you to fill my mouth. I ask you to fill every word of what you have to say this morning. And I stand in agreement with the prayers beforehand, the prayers that bound the demonic. I bind you up in Jesus' name. I cast you to the abyss in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. I cancel witchcraft that has risen to destroy your people. And I bind every spirit that has been conjured to perform that witchcraft in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you and we bless you. Amen. So the Lord has been talking to me a lot about plowing, about what it means to plow. So let's go right there. We're going to go to Luke 9. I'll get there myself. We're going to go to the 
close to the end of the chapter. We'll start at 57. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the son of man has no place even to lay his head. By the way, I'm in NLT. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So I did a little bit of research on plowing. By the way, I I do actually know how to plant and harvest things. I, I'm not someone who does crops. I don't do large fields of crops. But I've had my hand at gardening, and I really enjoy it. I love uh, preparing the ground for it. Because when, when you come out of the fall time and you're getting into spring, there's a lot of deadness on the ground. There's a lot of uh, roots and dead foliage. And sometimes even in the spring, if you're late into preparing the ground, you'll see that lots of greeny, gr- greenery will cover where you're trying to plant something. And so you go out there, and it's not the most fun part of the job, but you go out there with a hoe, and you go into the ground, and you dig up all this stuff so that the soil is nice and soft and tender and able to receive whatever seed is there. And if you, it depends on where you live, but sometimes some soil is harder than others. Sometimes it's really full of roots from trees, which it's almost impossible to plant there because you can't move the tree with your hands. But then in other places, it's, it's easier, but it's still difficult because there's rocks or things have been growing or worst of all, dandelions have been growing. They have very deep roots. They have a root that will go straight down and just keep going. I mean, most of the time when we dig up dandelions, you know, we don't even dig up the whole thing. It'll come back next year because the root is so versatile and resilient. It's like wickedness, (laughs) you know. But it's a grueling process. With a plow, it's a little bit different, but the same kind of idea where you have an animal, or sometimes you don't have an animal. Sometimes it's just by the force of your own strength. And you're hitched up to a trough, or kind of like a spade, and everything in you, you really want to use your core, everything is driving this spade through the ground, and it's preparing the ground for seed to be laid down with the expectation that there'll be a harvest. 
obviously the harvesting is the funnest part, right? You go out there. I mean, you can go to Milburn Orchard and you pay them to go harvest their stuff. <laughs> you know, they've got hired hands to do that, but, but you go out and you do it yourself. It's fun. But the harder part is when you have to break the ground and prepare it for that seed. Because a seed in good conditions will just grow. They just, they know when to grow. They know when the moisture level is at the right place. They know when the pH level, the acidity is at the right place. And they just grow when the conditions are good. So when you're plowing, and I'm sorry for the lengthy description, but I want you to get an idea of what it means to really plow this analogy that he's giving. You need to focus. You need to have, a lot of us will have our eyes fixed on one point, maybe the end of the field. And you use your core to just drive the trough and drive the tool, the plow, all the way down the line. And you have to stay focused because there can be rocks, there can be roots, there can be different things, there can be dead foliage. Maybe you're on a hill and you're kind of not making a straight line. And so everything in you has to be focused. You can't be texting while you're plowing. You can't be watching TV while you're plowing. I mean, I'm, I'm using absurd examples because it would be absurd to do that, right? Sitting there trying to text while you've got your two arms hitched to this thing and moving. Trying to, trying to text would be ridiculous. It would just not serve that plowing. And so everything has to be committed to it. Otherwise, it's just, it's just not going to get the job done really well. You know, they say that when you plow a field, you need it to be like four to five inches in depth when you're plowing. You have to have depth. You can't just rake across the top because if, if, you, if you make all of the surface really nice and then five inches down, it's still hard, what do you think is going to happen to the roots of the seed that are growing? It's going, to spread, it's going to spread out, but have no depth. And then the plant has no life because it can't get into the ground. It's superficial. And it's exposed to the elements, the roots. When they're, when they're spread out that way, they're exposed to the elements and they die very easily. So not only do you have to make this nice soil, but you have to have depth. You have to have the strength in your core to drive that plow in so that it's five inches deep. Sometimes deeper for other plants because other plants need more depth. When you bury potatoes, you have to actually dig up a little bit. And when they sprout up, it's okay for dirt to keep going on top of them because they'll just keep growing. They're a very versatile plant. So you get the picture that I'm putting together here, you need strength, you need focus, you need depth to the plowing, and you can't be, you know, horsing around, so to speak. I want to get into the word fit in this verse. Go back to verse 62. Let's look at that real quick. It says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I'm going to look at that word fit in the Greek. 
So the word fit in the Greek is euthetos. It's a two-part word. The first part is you, and it means done rightly, well done. It's the same word that's used when in the Gospels he says, well done, good and faithful servant. It, it, it means thorough. The second part of that word, thedos, means committed. It means to be placed, to put. It's interesting because it also means destined, appointed, assigned. And so when you look at the definition of this word, euthedos, it means to be well placed, to be positioned well. So he says, if you put your hand on the plow and you look back, you're not well placed in the kingdom of God. It's not saying, see, it's, it's not at all about salvation. And I know that we've, we've said that so many times here at Ignition. We go through the scriptures and we, we peel back this layer about salvation because we've learned that salvation is so much more than just heavenly inheritance in terms of eternal life. We've learned that salvation also includes relationship, the true goal of what God wants to do. And so here he's not saying, okay, if you put your hand on the plow and you get distracted and you look back, that you won't enter the kingdom. He's saying your assignment will suffer. The assignment that you're at is going to suffer because you're not well placed. You're not well positioned. You're not focused in a way where the depth is getting in there. You're not focused in a way where the line is straight. You're not focused in a way where... Everything in your core is moving this work forward. Now, when the Lord first placed this, this verse on my heart, he was place, placing it in the context of calling. When you step into a calling, when you take the next step into what God is asking you to do. And every time you go to a higher level with the Lord, he just asks for more. He just asks for more. He asked for greater surrender. And I, I want to go to a story here that will exemplify what I'm, what I'm meaning. Let's go to Matthew 19. And we're going to start in verse 16. And this is the story of the rich man. He says, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? First of all, I, uh, I love Jesus' response. Uh, for years, I actually kind of stole Jesus' response. He said, why ask me about what is good? There is only one, capital O, who is good. I just love that side comment because... You know, when someone comes up to you, I mean, I, I, I get it a lot during worship. They'll come up and say, oh, man, that guitar playing was really nice. It was so good. You did so well. And it's kind of awkward because it's like, well, it's the Lord, right? Like it has nothing to do with me. 
it's, it feels strange sometimes to receive that compliment because it really isn't about us. It's about the Lord receiving worship. And so a lot of times I would hear in the world, you know, people would say, oh, Shannon, you know, because they know I'm a Christian. They say, you're so good. You're such a good person. And I would I would steal this line. I would say, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Every man is wicked. <laughs> you know, I just it was such a good line because it's so true, because the only one who is good, the only one who is good is the father. The only one who is good is Jesus, who reflects his goodness. And the, the wonderful thing about who God is, is that, yes, he's good, and yes, we're wicked, but he wants to make us a perfect image of him. And so he is working us towards reflecting that goodness. And it's, it's very exciting, because it's not just that he's good and we're trash, It's that he is so good, he is making something precious in us. He called something precious in us right at the beginning. And sin messed it up, but he's working it towards perfection. And that's an exciting thing for me. Because it means that he's actually making me like him. When you're allowed to be like Jesus, by the way, it's very exciting because that means uh, your thoughts become like his thoughts. He starts to renew your mind He starts to give you his mind. And what's exciting about that is then you don't have to look at every thought you have and respond hostily towards it. You take every thought captive and you discern and you ask God, is this from you? But at some point, as he makes us more like him, the reaction of my heart or my spirit to my thoughts is not hostile. It's more curious. Is this you or is it me or is it the enemy? And his goal is that at some point, every single time, it's just his thought. So anyway, back to Matthew. But to answer your question, don't you love that? Jesus is like, I don't mind just inserting something here that you'll think about later. I'll get back to your question, but I'm just going to insert something right here. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect. Okay, let's pause there. That word perfect. In the Greek, it says teleos, which means mature and complete in all of its parts. Full grown. That's what that means. It's the same word that is used later in Matthew, or actually earlier in chapter 5. When Jesus says, be perfect like the Father is perfect. In other stories in the Gospels, he says, be holy like he's holy. And what he's saying is there, be complete, not lacking anything, full-grown, mature. So Jesus said to him, if you want to be mature, full-grown, not lacking anything, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. You see, when you, when you approach the Lord, first of all, every time you ask him a question, he is always trying to bring your understanding to a higher level than the question asked. Every time you go and say to him, Lord, what must I do about this situation? A lot of the times, I don't know about you, the Lord answers me with another question. Because he's trying to get my thinking in a different paradigm. He's trying to get my mind in a different place. Because even how I'm approaching him in my question is not complete. It's not mature. It's almost like my question is a little immature. And the Lord, instead of saying, oh, you're so immature, he just says, well, if you want to be perfect, then do this. And this was what was happening. This young rich man, he's, a, he's approaching Jesus and he's saying, what do I need for eternal life? And Jesus said, it doesn't stop at eternal life. I'll give you the answer of what you should do. Keep the commandments. But if you want to be perfect, give me your heart's desire. Which, for this man, was his possessions. So he's always, he's always challenging us to go higher in our thinking. Not higher in our intellect, by the way. Not higher in our academia. Not higher in our knowledge. But higher in our spiritual understanding of who he is. Higher in our knowledge of him intimately. So it's interesting what follows or unfolds in the rest of the story. We're at verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, I've I've heard this portion preached on a lot and, and taught a lot. And I'm not diminishing those teachings because a lot of times we kind of pull apart, okay, what does it mean for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? You know, what does that look like physically? You know, and and we talk about, um, you know, giving up everything. But but really what what the Lord was highlighting in this for me was it wasn't necessarily about possessions or, or anything like that. It was about the the heart desire of this young man his heart so the the bible teaches this it says where your heart is you know where where your treasure is is where your heart is basically like wherever your treasures are there too lies your heart and so i don't i don't hyper focus on the fact that this is material Because honestly, anything can be an idol. Like we have just learned that. Anything can be an idol. Your children can be an idol. Your marriage can be an idol. Your fitness, your health can be an idol. Your job can be. I mean, it just goes on. Just the, even the, the the deep depths of goodness that God gives us can be an idol. It is so crazy what can be an idol. Because it, it comes down to our desire for Him rather than what he's blessed us with and what he's blessed us with is so extensive it is so much 
It is so much. And we're still discovering what he's blessed us with because even as, as we unravel the enigma of the human body, we discover how he has so prepared us. We discover how he has so blessed us with our bodies and with the body of perfection that he first made. Completely apart from the impact of sin. What he has done in our bodies is amazing. So I want to separate the fact that it's talking about material things here. What he's talking about is this man's heart's desire, where his treasure is. So back to the verse. The disciples were astounded. Verse 25. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. It's interesting because they're still talking on the first level. They're still talking about eternal life. And he, he, he wasn't rude. He just, he just allowed that and kept talking with them. Jesus looked at them intently. Anybody ever look at you intently? Imagine Jesus coming up to you, looking at you intently. And said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Isn't that just a great bumper sticker? With God, everything is possible. Yeah. (laughs) It, It takes faith. It takes faith. God is still able to do everything, but it takes faith. He requires it. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Thank you, Peter. You're asking the second question. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones. Wait a minute. He's talking about position. He's talking about being well-placed in the kingdom. He's talking about being appointed and assigned You will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, I love that part. I love when Jesus says everyone. I know that when he's talking to the disciples, I know it applies to me also. But I get really giddy when he also makes a point to say, and everyone. You know, there are places in the gospel where he'll say, Father, I'm not just talking about these who you've given me here, but all who will come to believe. I love those lines. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. He's kind of like, yeah, they get eternal life, but they get a hundred times what they gave up. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So he's talking to me about plowing, needing to be focused. He's highlighting this word fit, euthetos, and that it's about being well-placed. It's about being well-positioned and how if you're not totally committed to the work that the Lord gives you, then you're not well-placed. It's kind of like When you have a business and you have different people with different skills and you place one who is skilled in a certain way, but you place them in a place of supervision or management, but they're not really good at managing. They're good at completing single tasks, 
but they're not good at managing. And they were placed in a place of management, but then it doesn't really reflect the value of that person. Actually, it, it ends up making them seem like they're not that valuable. Like, I need to fire this person. <laughs> but maybe they're very skilled in single tasks. They're just not placed properly based on where they're at at that time. Whose fault is it? The person who assigned them or them? The person who assigned them, right? So if you're doing, if you're walking in the Lord's calling for your life and he's beckoning you, he's saying, come on, come, follow, follow me. In order to follow me, I need your entire heart. I need all of you all of the time. I need all of you all of the time. You know, when the Lord was first highlighting this to me, I remember thinking, Lord, I want you. I want you. I want the calling that you have for me. But what if when my hand is on the plow, my strength fails? Like, what if I can't keep hold of this thing? I'm not distracted, but what if my what if my strength fails? Because I know for certain that in my own strength, it's not going to work. Have you ever tried to follow your calling in your own strength? Sucks. Yeah. It stinks. It, um, it's disastrous. It actually, it ends in such catastrophic failure. For most people, it ends up, it ends up destroying their calling. And so that was the question that I kept asking the Lord. I was, I was just asking him, okay, you're highlighting this verse to me about plowing, and I want to do it. And so many of your children want to do it, but, but why is it that when we look in your word, we see so many who did so well until the end? And then there was there was failure. And and listen, I'm not trying to say y'all got to be perfect, can't make a mistake. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to say that you have to um, feel this immense level of pressure. What I'm saying is you're fooling yourself if you think it's going to happen in your own strength. And deep in your heart, you know it. That's why you're anxious. <laughs> but when you do it with him, when you do it with his strength, what comes? Peace. Just total peace. Doesn't mean it's not hard because the fact is you're still plowing a field. There are still rocks. There are still roots. There are still difficulties. You still need to have focus. But you're able to do it because of him. I want to go to Luke 10. We're going to start in verse 27. So Jesus is talking to an expert in religious law. 
really? Who's the expert here? You're talking to the Messiah. They asked him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Again, that first level question. Jesus replied, verse 26, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? You know, I feel like Jesus has given me a a license to ask difficult questions. It's really uncomfortable for people. You know, like when they ask you a question, they just want an answer. Like, why can't you just answer the question? And I usually respond with a question because my heart is like a teacher. I love kind of unpacking the the process that they're going through in their thinking, how they arrive to a certain solution. I really enjoy that, by the way. They don't. I do. (laughs) The man answered, verse 27, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's interesting that when Jesus asked these questions, he was getting them to he was getting them to be convicted by the word of their mouth. So when they don't speak, he can't, you know, you know, it's almost like when the Israelites were in their tents, you know, they were in private kind of like complaining. And the Lord knew, but a lot of times he would have mercy until it was fully exposed. See, the Lord is all about exposure. He wants it to come out of your mouth these truths so that you understand what you're either standing for or standing against. And that's what's been happening, by the way. We've talked about that a lot here, where we look at the media, we look at the political systems all around us, and we see these politicians just kind of like vomit out the truth of their hearts. So I think to the Lord, the spoken word is dear to him. So Jesus says to him, right, verse 28, do this and you will live. Now, I want to talk about that word live for a minute. I'm not going to go to the Greek, but I'm just going to read this again in the Amplified, just verse 28. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. This is in the Amplified Classic, if you're able to get it up there. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will enjoy active, blessed Endless life in the kingdom of God. Love that word active. Enjoy active, blessed, endless life. People, eternal life is just the beginning of the package. It's just the start. So he's saying, you know, you're asking me about eternal life. And you said yourself that in order to do this, you need to give all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. But I'm telling you, if you do this, you're going to experience activity, blessedness, and endless life in the kingdom. You're going to have a well-placed position. 
you're going to be put well in that society. Because what the Bible teaches is that the kingdom of God is going to have different levels, different positions. And it doesn't mean that he loves one person over the other based on position. It's not really like that. Because his love for each one of us has been decided. It was decided long ago when Jesus came and died for us. That is how precious each one of us is to him. It's not about his love for us. In a roundabout way it is because it's about relationship. But what I'm getting at is that his love is not uh, splayed into strata. You know, he's not looking at different levels of society and saying, oh, I love this guy because he's a manager. That's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, I want you to be in that well position because I want you to have my mind. How do you have my mind? By surrendering your own thoughts, your own desires every day so I can fill you with myself. See, the Lord's end goal is I dwell with them. And no one will ever have to say to their neighbor, know the Lord, for everyone will know him. Everyone will know him because he will dwell with them. He will be inside of them. He will permeate every aspect of who they are. And the Lord is still waiting for that. He's given us a portion. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And he's wanting us to allow more. And that happens through that relationship process. And so if you have a calling that's laid before you, and the Lord is asking you to take the next step, and and the step after that, and the step after that, we do it in his strength. But we only receive that strength if everything, all of me, all the time. You know, it reminds me of when Jesus is talking about being a shepherd versus being a hired hand. The hired hand, when the wolves come, see ya. (laughs) The hired hand, when trouble comes, oh, it's my lunch break. You know, kind of like a union. Oh, 15 minutes, I'll take another break. You know, there isn't drive. But the shepherd, I mean, he cares about the sheep. He'll he'll get a staff and fashion it into a weapon because he's like, none of y'all, none of those wolves, you're not touching my sheep. You're not coming near my sheep. And there's a protectiveness You know, there's a a saying that sits heavy on my heart, and it's protect the perfect. And I've spoken about this several times where um, my calling and what the Lord wants to do in my life, his perfect will, I guard it jealously. I'm sitting there over it, like hovering, like like a helicopter mom. I go over to my calling, and I just... Lord, give me the discernment to make every decision as you would see fit. And listen, it's not about 
anxiety. It's not about worry. It's not about, you know, wondering if you're good enough for what God's called you to do. You know, those are all thoughts that come from the enemy. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about the jealousy, the the, the jealous guarding of your calling. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a sanctity and a holiness that you place on what God has asked you to do. And you so desire to be with him that you don't want anything in the way because the calling isn't even about what you do. The calling isn't even about how he how he fills you or fulfills a promise through you. The calling is about this is the road to relationship. I'm taking it. This is where I want to go with him. I'm going. This is a path that he's chosen so that I can become intimate with him. I'm going and nothing's holding me back. I'm not taking a break. I'm not too tired. I'm not going on a three-month sabbatical. I'm going. And that's it. And so that's what he's been saying to me about this idea about plowing. Because I know that he's called me to be a plower. I know that he's called me to break hard ground. And in that calling, it can't be a nine to five. And I'm not talking about the physicality of Nigeria. I'm talking about the spiritual the spiritual responsibility that he wants me to have because he wants me to recognize it as more of him every moment. He wants me to recognize that as I give him my whole heart, he gives me all of himself. And so I I want to convey that to all of you this morning that The calling that the Lord has for you is so incredibly special and powerful. And it is a bit of a means to an end because the goal is intimacy and one oneness with him. That is the goal, because the thing is, if each one of us is one with him in absolute. The world literally benefits. If Every one of us is one with him in absolute darkness cannot live. It cannot thrive. It cannot be. It cannot do. It cannot move. It is paralyzed by vessels filled with the Holy One. It just can't. It just can't. So when you're thinking about your calling... And the next part of what God has for you, remember that to be fit, to be well-placed, is to be fully committed without hesitation. And that's it. Lord, I thank you. Thank you. I thank you that it doesn't have to be my own strength. I thank you because I know that if it was my strength, I would fail. I would fail over and over again. But when it's in you, failure doesn't exist. I thank you so much. You are so good. You are so good. You are exceedingly good. And I learn more of your goodness every day. I thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Shannon. All right. Before we head out into the sunshine, I want to go through a couple announcements that we have. As you guys know, Alexis and Greg are over in Nigeria, and they get back on Wednesday of this week. So keep them in your prayers. And I know the Lord's doing some amazing things there. I wanted to let you guys know. Oh, also pray for Ruth and Marty and Brooke. They're heading to Maine on vacation right this moment. So the next Lydia's closet is September 16 and 17, Friday and Saturday from 9 to 4. So there are some flyers available per Brooke. So take, feel free to take those with you if you'd like. And then after the service, if anybody would like prayer for anything, uh, for healing, for a situation in your personal life, whatever you'd like, whatever you want to pray about, I'd be glad to do that with you. So find me afterwards if you'd like to do that. Uh, there will be a prayer walk after service. John will post the time and the meeting place on God Squad. I just texted him. So, Oh, 2 o'clock, Genesis. 2 o'clock right here. They'll meet for prayer walk. So anybody's invited there. And then Tuesday prayer service at 7 p.m., pre-prayer at 6.15 on Tuesday. Wednesday Bible study will be here as well. Oh, no, it's at Sadowski's. Okay, awesome, at 6.30. 6.30 at Rich and Linda's house. And then there will be a gifts meeting uh, Saturday, September 10th. So next Saturday, 11 to 1 at the Twiddell's house, and that'll do it. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for another week. I have great expectation for what you'll do in this next week. I thank you for Shannon and just all of the things that she pointed out and the importance of relationship with you. So, Lord, we give you this week. We just give you our yes.